You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Well, we're wrapping up a teaching series called Guardrails. Uh, if you've missed any of the last four weeks, those are on our YouTube channel or our website. You can catch up. Guardrails, we talked about how in week one, this is always the time of year we're setting goals, right? It's New Year's resolution. It's who do I want to be? Where do I want to go? Uh, what am I going to achieve? Guardrails um, are the things that keep you on the road long enough to achieve your goals. Because goals give you direction. Like, I want to do this. We're going to do this. I'm going to be this way. But if you drive off the cliff on the way to your goals, if you drive off the cliff morally, spiritually, physically, whatever it is, your goals don't do you much good. So guardrails are the things that keep you on the road long enough to achieve those big dreams, those big goals that you might have set for yourself this year. And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the wisdom of Scripture on some common areas where we can find ourselves in danger and maybe even drift off a cliff. Um, so we, we've talked about wisdom in our, uh, our relationships, our, our friendships, uh, our bodies, how we use our bodies, how we worship God with our bodies, and in our finances, right? Last week, all of you survived. Back-to-back weeks, you've, described, you've, you've survived conversations that might make us a little nervous. And, and so if you still come in, like, I feel very emboldened to offend you majorly because you keep coming back for more. So this could be fun today. No. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about something that Jesus actually set the table for last week because it wasn't about money, was it? Right? Jesus directly connects money to your heart. And so he set the table for where we're going. If you've got a Bible, Proverbs chapter 4, Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 4. This is a conversation between a dad and his son. Or maybe it's more like a monologue. You don't ever get to hear his son talk. He just has to listen. And all the dads in the room say, amen. Uh, Solomon just, it's dad's turn to drop some wisdom, some instruction on, on his kid, on his son. And if your dad was Solomon, you should probably pay attention. Right? Solomon was considered the wisest man of his time, maybe the wisest man ever. So if your dad is Solomon, I'm sure his kid was taking notes, you know, had his pen out. was like, come on, dad, just, just bring it on, right? Because that's how dads always react to their sons or, or how sons always react to their dads, right, when they're trying to give them some wisdom. They just, okay, yeah, sure. Proverbs chapter 4, <laughs> 100%, yeah, right. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. It says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, he says, guard your what? Heart. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So first it's like Solomon's trying to get his attention. Like, hey, son, don't just, don't tune out on me. Pay attention, right? Take some notes, right? Don't just do the whole, like, you're smiling and you're nodding your head, but you're not really hearing me thing. 
I, I want you to tune into what I'm saying. Son, this is important. Guard your heart. Why, Dad? Why does that matter? Why is that so important with all the questions, right? Because, son, everything you do, right, everything in life, everything you say, everything that happens, every behavior in your life, everything that happens out there starts in here. So we need to make sure we're dealing with this in here. To which I'm sure his son said, whatever, Dad, right? You know how I know that? Because I'm a son. <laughs> and I have a son, right? So in, in the words of Michael Scott, how the turntables. Uh, any Office fans? Oh, yeah. yeah, some of you were like, that was the weird, what does that even mean? Anyway, you're missing out. Um, if Solomon is right, if he's right on this, that learning to guard our hearts is the utmost importance because whatever's going on in our lives is directly affected by what's going on inside of us. That there's a direct connection between our words and our actions and what's in here. Jesus has a similar conversation. It's a bit more of a, a conversation. It's not just a monologue. But he's not talking to kids. He's actually talking to adults that I, I'm assuming should know better. Jesus kind of almost comes across that with the whole conversation. Like, don't you guys get this, you know? So this is in Matthew chapter 15. So now New Testament. And, and he's not talking to some kids. He's talking to, to some religious leaders, Pharisees, teachers of the law. And they come to Jesus, it says, from Jerusalem, and they ask him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, what's crazy to me is if you back up and you read Matthew 14, and you find out what's happened right before this conversation... Uh, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish, right? And then he walks on water. So you would think they might have some other questions to ask Jesus that might be a little more pressing or important. But they're, up, they're frustrated. They're upset because they've witnessed apparently Jesus and his disciples not washing their hands before they eat, which generally speaking is a good idea, by the way. Um, do you remember when COVID hit and the guidelines came out? And it was things like, you should wash your hands and not touch other people when you're sick. You should cough into your elbow. Uh, you know, all of, you should not go to school when you have a fever and are vomiting for 12 hours straight, right? Like all of these rules that cause me to go, so we're not doing that already? Y'all are gross. Like, what's going on, right? Like, most of the rules you thought, I think we should always probably do that. So when you read this, you might think that, like, they don't wash their hands before they eat. Ugh, like, what's going on with that? But the kind of washing that's being referred to here isn't just like, you know, a quick wash before you eat. It's actually a ceremonial washing. So in the Old Testament, one of the laws was that the priests, not everybody, but the priests, before they could enter into God's presence in the tabernacle, were to ceremonially wash their hands and their feet, signifying that they were clean before God. Um, and there were certain things that, that you could touch that would make you unclean or, or impure in the Old Testament law, like blood uh, or dead bodies and, and different things like that. And so even if they hadn't touched those things, the idea was you would clean yourself, you know, ceremonially, spiritually speaking, so that they could be in God's presence. 
But by the time of Jesus, right, fast forward several hundred years later, the Pharisees had taken that law that was only for the priests, and they had decided that everybody in Israel needed to follow it. Now, sometimes we give the Pharisees a bad rap because we know that they're like the bad guys in the story. So every time we hear Pharisees, our mind goes, dun, 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 right? But you got to understand, one of the reasons the Pharisees were so strict about the law is because they believe that the reason why Israel hadn't been delivered yet, the reason why they were under Roman oppression and why all these bad things and why they were suffering was because people were relaxed on the law. They weren't obeying God. And there's some truth to that. That's kind of why the whole exile happened. So they said, well, why even flirt with breaking the law? If this is God's law, let's build a fence. Let's build a boundary way over here so that we don't even get close. Let's everybody do this so that the Messiah will come, so that we'll reign again, and that Israel will be saved. Now, there's some wisdom in that, right? That's kind of the whole point of this guardrail series. So it wasn't that they did that was the problem. The problem was that they picked the wrong things. They didn't pick things that God actually cared about guarding. And the way they applied those boundaries was super hypocritical. And so Jesus sees that happening here, and he's gonna call them out for it. Right? Jesus, he says this, verse 10. He says, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile. Oh, sorry, I gotta back up. Verse three, thanks, Aiden. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Right, that's Old Testament law. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, uh, the word there is Corbin, which might sound familiar if you uh, know about the university down the road. If you declare that something is Corbin, which means devoted to God, then they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So Jesus is, is hearing their critique and he's flipping it back on them. He's like, he, he refers to this, uh, another Old Testament law where if someone dedicated something to God, they dedicated it for the use in the temple, they dedicated to uh, give it to the priest for sacrifice, whatever it was, then that's the only way that could be used. Okay, you couldn't use it for any other purpose. That, that's another Old Testament law. And he says, you're using that to your advantage. Right? You're, you're saying, oh, mom and dad, I know you're hurting. I know you could use some help and some support, but uh, you know, I've corbined all of this stuff over here that you really need, and uh, I've devoted it to God. And I'm sure, so someday, like probably when I'm dead and I don't need it anymore, it's gonna be used for the temple. The priests are gonna use it. So sorry, mom or dad. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me right now? That's how you think this should go? Like, you're, you're mad at us for not following a man-made tradition Meanwhile, you're breaking the law of God by a man-made tradition and a big man-made or a big uh, God, God law, right? Top 10 is kind of a big deal. Honor your father and your mother. Made the top 10 list for a reason. He says, you're, you're not following that and you're worried about us not washing our hands. Hear the hypocrisy? Which, which side note, just kind of, you know, different thought, um, there's so many people in our church, and I just want to acknowledge you and honor you for a minute. There's so many people in our church that I've been watching this last season or so caring for their elderly parents in such an incredible way. 
like loving, honoring your father and mother, that doesn't stop when you're a child. That's, that's, a, that's a command of God your whole life. And there's so many of you that are doing that so well in really hard times. And, and I know it's not easy, but I'm learning from you. I'm like taking notes. Like you are being so honoring and so loving. And I just, I guess I just want you to know I see it because I know it's pretty, pretty hard and it can be pretty invisible work. Um, so just way to go. Like I just want you to hear that in your heart today. Like God says to you, like, well done and, and keep it up. But then Jesus gives us the central idea. He says, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. Did you get that? It's okay if you didn't, because most of the disciples didn't get it either. Right? They're all murmuring to each other like, what is he talking about? What does that mean? I don't know. You ask him. I asked him the last stupid question. You ask him this one. <laughs> right? And then Peter's like, okay. <laughs> I love Peter. Peter's like, oh, I got this. He's always just the one to jump into it, right? Peter's like, um, Jesus, huh? <laughs> Verse 16, I love Jesus' response. Are you still so dull? <laughs> How many of you, like, that would be you if you were a disciple? It's like, ouch. Like, Jesus is like, don't you get it yet? And I, I would totally be the one that's going like, totally, absolutely I get it, Jesus. No. Are you still so dull? Verse 17, don't you see? Well, no, I don't. That's why I'm asking you. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Basic biology there. But, he says, the things that come comes from the heart, and these defile them. Jesus says, don't listen to these hypocrites. They don't understand they don't understand that what puts people in, in odds with God is not what they eat. It's not what goes into them. It's what comes out of them. But, and here's the key, there's balance, right? Because what comes out of you, Jesus says, is a byproduct of what's in you. Right? And because he, he lists all these activities, behaviors, things that happen out here in the world, murder, adultery, stealing, lying, all this stuff that we go, yeah, I want to avoid that stuff. That'll wreck my life. That'll ruin relationships. That'll bring a lot of pain to me, to other people. And Jesus says, yeah, that's true. But the source of all of those behaviors is what I'm trying to talk to you about. Jesus says they come from the heart. They come from the heart. Do you know anybody that's wrecked their life because of something that came out of them? An action? A word? Something that maybe in the moment felt kind of shocking or unexpected and it just caused an incredible amount of damage in their life and to other people? Maybe you've experienced this in your own life. Jesus would say, yeah, the action causes a lot of damage, but it didn't start there. It started in here. And that's what I want to talk to you about. That's what I want you to focus on. So how do we guard against that? How do we guard against blowing up our life by letting things into our heart that when we don't check them and when we don't have them heal can really just 
drive us off the cliff. I want to talk about that real quick. Four things. There's lots of things we need to guard our heart from, but four things that I've just seen over and over and over again. Number one, the first thing is guilt, right? And guilt is this mindset, this, this posture that says, I owe you, right? I owe you. I've messed up. I did something wrong. I said something. I did something and I've offended you, and I've offended God, because all offense, all hurting of a human being is offense to God, because he created all of us in his image. So when, when we sin against someone else, we're also sinning against our Heavenly Father, because he loves them. And that guilt can just sit there and eat away at us. And what that does is it creates distance, because I don't want to be around you if I've hurt you. I don't want to be reminded of the thing that I've done, right? I see this all the time, even with people's relationship with God. They just, you know, God feels so distant. I can't really get close to God. And not always, but a lot of times there's a sin issue that hasn't been resolved. There's a a need for for repentance and and repairing of the relationship. Sin always creates distance between us, between us and God. So the way that we deal with guilt in the sense of, oh, man, I really owe you, Right? The way we guard our heart against guilt is confession. Confession is God's tool to root out guilt. And it's not just with God. It's kind of easy to confess to God. Have you ever noticed that? It's a lot easier to tell God what I've done wrong. Um, he already knows, right? He doesn't need reminded, like, wait, I was sleeping. When did you do that? I missed that. Uh, he He's pretty much sure of what happened. The harder part is confessing to the person that we've hurt. That's hard. But that's what we need if we're going to free our hearts from guilt, which, and the hard part is because a lot of times that'll create some temporary chaos, won't it? Because that can bring up some hurt and the fallout from that can be hard. Just like when you hit a guardrail, with your car, like it's still gonna cause quite a bit of damage to your vehicle, but it saved you from going off the cliff. So one of the things we have to decide when, when we're the guilty party is can we live with a little bit of external chaos if it means in the end getting internal peace? So, so the way we guard against that guilt is confession. The second thing we need to guard our hearts against is anger. And if, and if guilt says, I owe you, anger says, you owe me, right? You owe me. All of us are carrying around some kind of wound. The longer I've done this, the longer I've just been a human. <laughs> I've realized most of us have a hurt that has never been healed. Something was said to us. Someone did something to us. And it's never really been resolved. And it may never be. So we walk around life carrying that. And we don't think it's affecting us as much as it really is. People around you notice that it's affecting you. And sometimes when you allow yourself to go there, you realize, yeah, it's, it's eating at me in a way too. Because they owe me. And if we don't know how to deal with that anger, that turns into bitterness. And bitterness, man, bitterness will wreck your life. 
It'll wreck your relationships. Can ruin your relationships with, with coworkers, with your spouse, with your friends. Can even get in between you and God. And so the guard against anger is forgiveness. Right? If the guard against guilt is confession, this is the flip side. Because now, now you've done something to me. And this is really hard. Because what happened, happened. It was real. They actually said that. Yes, they really did that. This is not forgetting. This is not dismissing. This is not making it okay. None of those things have anything to do with forgiveness. This is looking actually right in the face of what happened to you or what was said to you. Seeing it, feeling it maybe, which is hard as well. And canceling the debt anyway. Not because they deserve it. Not because, again, what they did to you was okay. But because you're, you're gonna stop demanding repayment because let's be real, you're never gonna get repaid anyway. It's never gonna solve what you think it's gonna solve. And you're gonna forgive because you're not gonna let, you're not letting them off the hook. You're letting your heart off the hook. I'm not gonna be controlled. I'm not gonna have my life shaped by what you did or said to me anymore. So I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive. The third thing we need to guard our heart against is greed. And we talked a lot about this last week, so I don't want to belabor the point. Uh, but greed is, I owe me. Right? It, it is sort of a, um, Andy Stanley says, it's the assumption that everything's for my consumption. It's the assumption that everything is for my consumption. It's mine. I owe me. And so the guard against greed we talked about last week is giving, right? It's giving. Giving isn't just about, it's not because God needs your money. What does God need your money for? What's he gonna do with it, <laughs> right? Giving isn't for God, it's for you, it's for me. It's a way to guard our hearts and not allow any kind of selfishness and greed to get in there. So one of the ways we guard against that is to give, especially like where we don't get any credit. Um, like, like no one knows that you're giving. No one knows that you're blessing that person, Right? You didn't put your name on the hospital or the library because I know that's a huge temptation for all of us in this room. We were totally gonna do that $30 million gift to the hospital tomorrow. And just, I'm just telling you, if you're doing that, don't put your name on it. And maybe talk to me first if, anyway. I'll put your name on it. No, just kidding. <laughs> right? Or here's another idea. Let, let someone else use something of yours that's important to you or precious to you. I've, I've kind of talked about this, but I keep a lot of things that are important to me in my office because I, Aiden, I love you, but I don't trust my children around any of my nice things. I like hide them from them. I've learned. Experience is a great teacher. Um, but one way you guard this is say, you know what, I'm not, I actually had a friend in seminary who struggled, she told me she kind of struggled with selfishness, which I thought was really brave of her to share that with a classmate. Um, and I said, so what do, you, what do you do with that? And she said, one of the ways I protect myself from that is I've made a covenant, I've made a promise with God that I won't purchase anything that I wouldn't loan to someone else. If I look at it and think, There's, I wouldn't let anybody come near this thing, then that's just God's way of saying, well, then it's not for you. If you're gonna hold that tightly to it, then just don't hold on to it at all. Don't buy it. And I looked, and she had a laptop, which when you're in seminary, like, no one has any money, right? It was like ramen every day, right? Um, 
she had a laptop that just had, it was just beat to smithereens. And she said, yeah, I bought it used like third hand, you know, and it still works. And she could even afford a new laptop, but she knew if she bought a new laptop that she would just be so protective and guarded of it. And so that just wasn't for her. I thought that was a really cool idea, right? to not buy something you wouldn't loan to somebody else. Number four, last one is jealousy. Right? And jealousy is the attitude that life owes me. I deserve better than what I'm getting. Right? It's that thing that rises up in us when someone else gets the promotion that we thought we should have gotten or someone else is getting the applause or the attention or the credit or the invitation, whatever it is, and we're sitting there going like, hey, what about me? I, I'm, I'm here. Don't I, don't I deserve that? Life owes me. I will confess some of this rose up in me last week. I was sitting at my desk in my office looking out on a beautiful Oregon week knowing that Dave and Teresa Bisbee were hanging out in Hawaii without me. You know, didn't even bring me back any macadamia nuts or nothing, you know. Just, I mean, I'm just joking. Then I realized Pam and Ed Woods were there and Dave's whole company. I mean, by the way, if you need a job, talk to Dave. What a company to work for, right? Pretty soon you get to the point like, I think everyone's in Hawaii but me. I am literally the only person left in Oregon. Everyone has left. The rapture has happened and I am stuck or something. You know, you're like, where... No one's in the office today. Like, I was so jealous. And then some of you are thinking, well, yeah, but Mike, you were just in Florida, you know, a couple times this year and blah, blah, blah. And it just let it seethe through you. Feel it. Feel the jealousy, right? No. But that's, I mean, the thing is, is when you're in that place, it's actually not even between you and the other person. It's between you and God. You think, you think God is holding out on you or that someone else is getting better from God. You're like, hey, what about me? So the worst thing we can do is take it out on someone else because our problem isn't really with them. Our problem is with God. And so the guard, the guard of our heart against jealousy is celebration. Learning how to be genuinely happy for other people when good things happen to them. Even if it's something you wish would have happened to you or you wish you would have gotten the credit or the job or the attention. Throwing a party internally for someone else will guard you against that little thing of jealousy that creeps up there. And one of the things that'll do, watch what it'll do in your heart. One of the things that celebrating someone else will do is it'll cause you to think about your own blessings and celebrate what you already have in your life. And I think when you're celebrating what you already have in your life, God looks at you and go. Now you get it. Now you get it. Here, let me bless you. But why would God bless us when we're sitting around all day going like, I just can't believe how, what I don't have. This is terrible. You think God's gonna look at someone's heart attitude like that and go, let me just shower that person with my blessings. <laughs> is that how you look at your kids when they're acting like that? You're like, I'm gonna take every present under the tree back. <laughs> right? I know from experience. Right, celebrating, man, it just opens us up to celebrating other people, but I think it opens us up to the blessings that God has already given us. And I think God says, now there's a heart I can bless. Well, you know how Solomon said, pay attention, son? And we kind of said, I wonder if he really did. Apparently he didn't, because if you follow the story in the Old Testament, when Solomon dies, 
His son, Rehoboam, becomes king. And it goes bad pretty much from day one, right? Rehoboam gets some bad advice uh, from his advisors, and the people rebel against him. And Israel is split into two kingdoms, and there's lots of warring and fighting and idolatry, and pretty much from there on until the time of Jesus, that's the story of Israel. And 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14 says this about his son, whom he was trying to talk about in Proverbs, talk to in Proverbs chapter 4. 2 Chronicles 12, 14 says, he did evil, Rehoboam, Rehoboam did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. It's like he didn't, it's like, did you, did you not get it, man, that this is where it all starts? Right? Rehoboam missed it. So my prayer is that we don't miss this, that most of the things that we have happening to us and through us out here all start in here. And so we've got to guard our hearts in such a way to not let things in here that will somehow come out and drive us off the cliff. And I don't know what that thing is for you. I'm hoping that during these five weeks, God's put his finger on something specific, an area where you go, you know what? I'm flirting with disaster. I got to make some changes. I need to set some boundaries further back before I get myself in big trouble. And that, that prompting, that conviction is actually love, right? That is God's love to you to say, man, I don't want to see you go through that. I don't want to see you go through that. Set a guardrail. Let me pray for us. Father God, your word is true. Your word is alive and active, and it speaks today if we'll listen. I've already been hearing just stories throughout our church of how you've been speaking and nudging people into certain uh, guardrails to shore up, Lord. I'm just grateful for your faithfulness in doing that. And I know there's, there's more. Even in this room today, you're speaking. You're putting your finger on something and saying this is an area that we need to shore up before disaster strikes. Maybe it's even one of these four things we talked about, Lord. Maybe there's something in our hearts already that's in there. We want to we wanna heal. We need a new heart, as your word says. Right? The promise of your Old Testament says that you will exchange a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And your word in the New Testament talks about becoming a new creation. I think that's from the inside out. I think you do something in us so that you can do something through us. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, come, do your work. Speak and move in our hearts today, we pray. Amen.